Blog Talk Radio. Twitter. 
got the Facebook Live going. We'll put the link up to that so you can hear everybody. We got Corey Price coming up at 6:30. If you're not following him on Twitter, TV, you already know it is just knowledge and stats and trivia and research. Kentucky football, basketball, regardless of the sport, Corey will give you some great knowledge and insight, things you hadn't known before. You know, we reference BigBlueHistory.net a lot, but Corey brings it as well, and uh, he said he has some good stuff for Louisville when I was talking with him about coming on. And it's a, it's a heavy Louisville show again. He is from Louisville as well. So we got Jefferson County in the building two weeks in a row. Kevin Hale last week. Corey Price this week. You're going to the Young Center this weekend. And I mentioned it last week. You were at the Young Center two years ago when you took the play Louisville there. You called in from the scene, from the Young Center. And we had the super agent, Lee Steinberg, on that same evening. And it's just you know, we just continue to reflect on all the guests that we've been fortunate enough to have on this show. Lee Steinberg, Sinbad, Dick Vitale, Roy Wood Jr., Kentucky Media Galore, Kenny Walker, Derek Anderson, you know, Oscar Cones. Um, we try to have a lot of fun with it. And, you know, if you've missed those shows, you can go back and hit the archives uh, and, re- and reference some of the old shows and some of the great guests we've had as well as the great guests we plan on having in the future. Uh, we kind of get Kentucky, we get comedy, we get music. L. Young from Louisville has come on with us twice, talked music with him. We always have a lot of fun here on Cast Talk Wednesday. We try our best to win. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Can't wait to have Corey on uh, here in a few minutes. And, you know, we'll, we'll get all things Kentucky. We got Citrus Bowl. We'll talk about a certain groin that might be of concern to you. We'll, we'll get to that. And, you know, got people holding their breath. Uh, a certain NBA superstar. We'll talk about that as well. All the NBA games yesterday that went down. So a lot of fun stuff to get to. Um, and we might as well dive into whatever portion of the game you want to start with or what you're looking forward to seeing this Saturday in the Yum Center. Uh, we'll just start with, you know, Basketball first, and then branch on out from there. Yeah, well, let's talk about the North Carolina game. You know, this was a situation, uh, you know, Cal addressed before the game and especially after the game about the the gloom and doom naysayers, right, that, you know, we've talked about. And and I know people are getting on social media and and to, to vent, but that kind of stuff always gets back to, coaches and players it's that's just the way it works so Cal had a lot of comments for that and you know taking care of North Carolina comfortably I mean they led for about 35 minutes of the game Uh, you know it got to I think as big as 15 and really kept that eight to nine point barrier for most of the second half Uh, this was the game that we've been waiting to see you know, Cal said beforehand that, you know, there were some people, and I know he was talking about the fans, that are still looking back on the Duke game. Well, you know, because coaches and players, you can't do that, right? You have to be ready for the game that you're playing right then. So uh, it was a situation where, you know, they had to get past getting blown out by Duke. They had to be humbled. They had to struggle a little bit. 
which they've done in, in, in the Seton Hall game. Cal kind of referenced that. You know, if we win that game, you know, we're not hearing all this talk about how his program is built. And so playing against Blue Blood, North Carolina, and if I'm ranking all-time programs, he won Carolina two. Uh, and and you know, we all know that Cal had been kind of last few years not winning those big marquee matchups like the Duke game this year, like Kansas, you know, and, and, and UCLA and some other teams. So this was kind of a game to, to – and I hate saying mojo because a lot of people talk about we – haven't had mojo since 2015, and I scratch my head, and I'm like, well, Malik Monk went for 47. But be that as it may or as it may not, this was a game where uh, Ashton Hagens, eight steals, played defense. It was one of those situations where, uh, like Anthony Davis on the block shot, yeah, the stat sheet said he had five or six, but then there's about (laughs) seven or eight plays that didn't get made because of his defense. And Ashton Hagens, uh, you look at the turnovers that just him being there, there were about three or four where uh, I called him Sideshow Bob for North Carolina because his hair was kind of crazy. But the point guard, White, I mean, just <laughs> yeah. basic basic inbounds and just is like a quarterback hearing steps or feeling steps, ball's going right out of bounds. So there's three or four, probably five or six additional plays that he affected uh, just by his defensive presence. So you, that was something that we wanted to see moving forward. And, and if you've been around Kentucky basketball for the last 10 years, you shouldn't be surprised. This is the time of year, December, when we start to feel like, okay, the guys know their roles. Coach Cal and his coaches know what they expect out of the team. Now we start getting in a groove. This shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, right? And yet, it is. I mean, so uh, you have to like Ashton Hagen's and what he did. You have to like the poise that Reed Travis played with. And look, if we get P.J. Washington to pull a, a Draymond Green and, 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 and flirt with a triple-double, you know, that's the team that's going to get to Minneapolis. What we saw on Saturday is a team that gets to Minneapolis. Yeah, still a lot of turnovers. But I think that had something to do with the pace that Carolina was trying to play at. Uh, definitely want to work on that. But this is the game you can point to. Hey, we needed to win this game, and we won it, right? So you have to feel good moving forward. A lot of good things. Uh, you, you saw Nick Richards come in and make some plays, make some positive plays. Mm, yeah. Cal, is, mm-hmm. Cal is shortening the bench, right? He is uh, His best teams are seven guys with an eighth guy that's ready to play, 2012. You know, 2015 is the outlier, but when you look at 2014, 2011, 2012, even, uh, you know, 2009-10, uh, his first team, that seven-man rotation with an eighth man is, is about where he's comfortable playing, and we kind of see him, you know, doing that right now. Uh, so, I feel comfortable moving forward because the game against North Carolina, I mean, lots of questions answered. Again, can we do it on the road in a very hostile environment this weekend? I feel better now than I did a week ago, you know, even after the Utah game. Because uh, if, if Hagan's is going to get the keys to the, you know, keys of the car, so to speak, 
I feel comfortable with what he's been able to do. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, a couple. He was a couple of blown layups away from really blowing the game wide open. I mean, he's able to get to the rim uh, on the offensive side. He's playing great defense uh, on, on that end of the floor. That's what you want. He's the point guard that, that Cal has had. When you look at the John Walls and the Brandon Knights and, and all these guys, Hagan's is becoming that guy. And, and you know, to the, the play that really summed up his day was, uh, you know, Carolina had closed to six late in the second half. And I think he gets a steal, layup, or steal, you know, we score, and another steal or turnover, and it goes from uh, a six-point game to an 11-point game. That's how you stretch it out. That's how you win games. Because it's a six-point game. You let it get a four. Now you've got issues. Now Carolina's getting a little bit of momentum. That's the kind of play that we were missing up until this point of the season, and now we're making those plays. Now we're executing in the half court. Uh, so I feel confident. I don't want to read too much into one game, but you definitely have to feel optimistic uh, from what we've seen so far this season. Absolutely, absolutely. Look to the latest episode of Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown coming to you from outside Knoxville and Louisville. Tonight's show is brought to you by the Smoky Mountain Trader. Uh, right there, servicing the area where I grew up, the tri-state area, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia. Uh, the number one red shopper in the Lakeway area for ads, graphic designs. They service 12 counties in Tennessee, uh, Bell County, Kentucky, and Lee County, Virginia. Your number one source for buying and selling cars, trucks, appliances, any of the types of items you want. Put them in the trader. People will find them in print and online. 423-587-1700. TheSMTrader.com is the website. Lynn Earls is the man you want to talk to. Uh, James and Steve will also take care of your needs. The Smoky Mountain Trader. We appreciate them bringing the show to you. You mentioned... TJ and and you know he he was he was very solid like you mentioned flirting with a triple double. We've seen a couple games where he's balled out and it it goes by the boards. You know the Seton Hall game he puts up twenty nine and he, he's dominant and they're not able to get that win. You saw him personally in the tournament against Kansas State where you know. Kentucky was where they were in position to be in that game because of him. You know, everybody will point to the free throws, and look, you got you can't miss twelve. But you look at everything he did outside of that, dominant. Zach Givens is talking about he's got to do that more often than he doesn't. When you get him doing that consistently, um, that will also elevate this team where this team needs to be and wants to be. Aston Hagens is. is putting a nice grip on that point guard position. We're seeing him develop. Uh, it's kind of been up in the air between himself and Quigley. He's kind of taking a step forward. Uh, and just like, you know, Mike Pratt and Tom Lee's talking about, just add a little offense. You mentioned finishing a couple of layups. A little more offense to keep teams honest, and you can see him growing into that role as the type of point guard that Cal wants and needs to run the team. And just the P.J. Washington thing, you and Draymond, you're talking about 
2014-2015 Draymond, not not Draymond this year, because he, he's in a little bit of funk this year. Yeah. Right? Talking about you talking about well, flashback yeah. Draymond. <laughs> I'm just well, joking with that. I know he, I know you are, but he is he is struggling. He throwing up air balls against your Lakers the other night and just looked all kinds of out of sorts. <laughs> well, yeah, and with with it, you have to remember that that PJ is is, is learning to play with Reed Travis. Last year, he was able to, to get to the block and do things. You know, when he got hot against Kansas State and, and other points during the season, there wasn't anybody else that was going to, to be in that space. What I'd really like to see was the way uh, he, he and Reed Travis were running that, that high pick and roll, that, that big man game that, you know, older, old people like us remember Chuck Hayes and Eric Daniels running to perfection. Yeah. In 2003, yeah. I mean, PJ's, you know, seven rate assists, whatever it was, most of those were to read for wide open layups and, and ones. That's, that's, the, that's how this team is going to get it done. And once teams have to respect that, because PJ and Reed together, they can both score in the post, they can both pass. Well, now your defense has to play on it. You know, if, mm-hmm. if, if if Hero's able to knock down shots and Kelvin Johnson, my goodness, I can't believe it's taken us that long to get to Kelvin Johnson the way he's played since the Seton Hall game. You know, you know what, 12 of 17 from three or whatever, the clip he's on since he hit that shot at the buzzer. Uh, I think a lot of his open looks and a lot of what Hero is able to do is because teams have to, they have to do something on the interior. You know, if, if Reed's going to go for 20, and PJ's going to, you know, flirt around with a triple-double, that opens up a lot of different things. So uh, you just have to be encouraged from what, you, what you've seen. You know, we've, we've, at this point, we should now know November is too early to panic, regardless whoever your team is in basketball. I don't care if you're Duke or Kansas, whoever. November's too early to panic. December's too early to panic. Early December, at some point, and I think I've said this since we've had this show, people will figure out what Cal does. Like, if you like it or love it, you. But we're seeing guys. Uh, his shot hasn't fallen like we kind of thought, but but he's played valuable minutes. He's moving the ball. He's being effective. You know, he's he's doing that kind of Malik Monk curl in the lane kind of thing that really opens things up as well. If he's hitting that mid-range shot, he can either knock it down or he can get it down to one of the big guys on the block. That's opened up a lot of things. So, uh, again, we'll see on Saturday how much translates out to, you know, North Carolina not being as good as we thought or whatever. But that would be really, really encouraged by what you saw uh, on Saturday in that environment in a must-win game. I mean, and let's keep in mind all the coaches and all the players they all know we lost by 34 points to Duke, right? They, they, they know that. <laughs> they know. I mean, and, and if you're a competitor, if you are a kid that comes to Kentucky, those are the games you want to play in, right? You don't come to Kentucky necessarily to play Utah or even Seton Hall. And, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's why we lost the Seton Hall game, but the North Carolina game, the Duke game, the Louisville game, that, this is why you come. You know, for these marquee matchups. So these guys, they rose to the occasion. 
Uh, I, I, for one, kept waiting for Carolina to make that run. And even though they hit some threes, you know, Luke May, you know, we remember two years ago, Luke May, you know, he banked in a three, but, but they never wavered. Uh, we never had a lot of empty possessions in the second half. From about the 10-minute the mark on, we didn't have a lot of empty possessions. We put, we put a lot of pressure on North Carolina, and, and, and that's what you have to do. If you're in the lead, you keep it in that eight or nine range, you really put game pressure on the other team. They start pressing a little bit. They start doing things uncharacteristic, and that's what we saw Carolina. We had Carolina playing faster than they wanted to play. So, right, imagine that. Uh, you're right, and, and I, you know I'd be willing to see what we're going to do on Saturday. Is if we can get out and we can take command of the game, and I know this sounds, you know, like basic stuff, kind of keep them chasing, and that's what happened uh, in the tournament game that you referenced against Kansas State. We had to keep chasing points because we got off of such a mm-hmm. bad start. But uh, if we're able to do that, and Hagen's is already able to play defense uh, like that, I like our chances. Uh, because I want to say it was the UNC Greensboro coach that was talking about Hagen's being the difference in that game. You know, um, Alfonso, Alonzo, I'm sorry, you know, went for 19 in the first half and two in the second half. And that was Hagen's. Hagen's got on him after he got, you know, he scored the first 11 points. And then once Hagen got on him, that, you know, that kind of, that kind of shut him down for the rest of the game. So on the defensive side, you know, we've been looking for, a big man to kind of be a shot blocker, kind of a shot eraser. But I think with this team, it's going to start with a defensive pressure from Hagan. If teams have to start their offense closer to midcourt, if teams have to reset a little bit, you know, because of what Hagan's is doing, that's worth a block shot in my mind because you're disrupting the flow of the game. You know, if you're making their point guard pick up his dribble, if you're making him – think about just bringing the ball up the court. So making him work a little bit. I, I, so it all works together. And, and what we saw on Saturday was just a great, great win. One that we needed, uh, one the players needed, the coaches needed to kind of get right uh, as we get ready for Louisville on Saturday. Definitely. Definitely. And I wish I thought when the game was going on, but got a reference the tweets you put out quoting Mama B and her thoughts on Tyler Hero. <laughs> she she said that white boy white boy is smooth getting to the rim. It was something <laughs> I forget, but but he curled and 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 the thing is, because uh, now now keep in mind now Mama B has watched basketball for a long time. You know she's from Memphis. She remembers when Memphis State, with Larry Finch, got to the uh, Final Four uh, uh, championship game against UCLA and Bill Walton. You know, when Bill Walton went like 23 from the field or something like that for that performance. And, you know, in Memphis and, you know, being in Louisville. So she knows basketball, but she was just saying he just looks smooth once he gets into the lane. And, and that's what I was talking about, Hero making really good decisions. Some guys, they get in that mid-range game and they panic, right? They either try to drive or they want to back it back out. But he looks like he can curl, you know, within the lane, you know, free throw line and down and make plays. That's why I don't subscribe to the, the theory that, you know, if he's not hitting threes, he can't play. No, he absolutely can play. 
you know, he's if he's not hitting his shots and not doing anything else, well, yeah, he's got to sit. But he was making plays. Uh, Hero is not a, a fantastic on-the-ball defender, but he plays the passing lanes really, really well. I think yeah. he's one of the best guys to kind of avoid the screen. So, yeah, you you got to play him. Uh, he's part of that rotation. Uh, but, yeah, he uh, Mama B is a big fan of Hero, not a big fan of Whiskers. That's what she called Luke May. <laughs> uh, uh, Keldon Johnson, she said that he had a baby face. Uh, oh, and, and she did. She is a big fan of PJ Washington's mean mug. Definitely a fan of, 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 of the mean PJ look. So, uh, so, yeah, so I watched the game with her and the girls this past, this past Saturday. So uh, it, it, was, it was good. We had, we had a good time. Yeah, yeah, I knew I had to bring that up. I said, "Well, I gotta, gotta bring that up. Talk about that on the show." So your mom will be talking about hero, and and she's right. And you already, you dead on too. He will get in the passing lanes in a minute. Uh, he's had several steals. Where he just anticipates and cuts in front of it uh, and gets a breakaway layup or a dunk. So he, and so you gotta between you know, and that's a nice dynamic for the backcourt. You know, you got Hagen doing what he's doing on the ball, and then, you know, Hero kind of sneaking up on guys and, you know, people thinking they can get a pass, you know, make a pass, and, and him closing down that distance and getting the angles and, and getting steals. So that's that's a nice formula uh, to wreak some havoc on opposing back backcourts. Yeah. And, and, and one last thing on Hagen, the play that kind of really – I mean, put his stamp on the game was uh, the play. He almost got the steal in the backcourt. Carolina was inbounding, kind of falls into the Kentucky bench and like comes like a madman out of nowhere and ends up getting a steal in the front court and, and calls a timeout to really ice the game. Uh, we were watching uh, uh, on the DVR and I stopped it and rewound that a couple of times to show bigness. You know, she's playing lacrosse, and I just wanted uh, what her coaches had told her. We had a clinic on Saturday morning, basically said, look, it's okay to get beat sometimes defensively. That happens. But it's not okay to stay beat. And I was just showing her. I said, look, this is exactly what your coach was talking about, is even if you think you're out of play, you keep hauling your butt down there, you know, to, to, to get back into the play. You keep hustling. And look, I said, look, this is exactly – that play was nothing but pure hustle to get back into it. So, if those are the plays that we're going to continue to make on the, the defensive end, I like our chances because the talent is undeniable. You look at the guys we have on this team. This is Minneapolis-bound talent, right? But it's always a matter of can we put the pieces together, and we're starting to see that. They play like that. They can be a lot of teams in the country. I mean, they're going to have to work on the turnovers, obviously. You know, going to Knoxville, your neck of the woods is going to be tough. Playing Auburn is going to be tough. And, you know, there's always that weird, you know, SEC road game that kind of sneaks up on us. You know, Kansas is coming to town. But, hey, play like that, I I like our chances. Definitely, definitely. And when it comes to just dropping that – Info galore. TV, you and I both know that we like this man's chances of bringing us something that we probably hadn't thought of or may have not known 
I'm talking about Corey Price, went to the UK, graduated 10 years ago, also contributed to UK Athletics, Cat Scratches, uh, bleeds as blue as you can bleed blue. And he's joining us right now on Cats on Wednesday. Should have had him on way before now. I'm talking about Mr. Corey Price. Corey, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Vinny. Uh, you all have a great show, and I'm, I'm glad to uh, finally be on. Yeah, man, we appreciate you hopping on, and, and the finally part, that's my fault, man. I should have reached out a long time ago to get you on here with us. Uh, I always follow you on Twitter. And, yeah. Thank you. And, yeah, yeah. And I mentioned at the beginning I'm from southeastern Kentucky, Terry is from Louisville. So we got a we got a lot of Jefferson County flavor on with us this <laughs> evening. Were you born and raised in Louisville uh, all your life? Would you move there as a kid or uh I briefly lived in Simpsonville for one year when I was younger. But uh excluding that, yes, I I've been in Louisville my, my entire life. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. And let's see, last week you were going to come on, and we rescheduled for this week because you went to Mail High School. Mail was yes. playing Fairdale. So how did that turn out? I hadn't checked this Well, uh, they were actually playing at Fairdale. They, they weren't playing Fairdale. Uh, they played Collins in the first round of the King of the Bluegrass, and uh, unfortunately uh, Collins got, got the best of Mail. Uh, but it wasn't too bad because Collins, they uh, ended up losing in, in the finals. So at least Mel lost to uh, a better team, I guess. Yeah, at least they they went ahead and made a good run after after beating Mel. That that makes you feel that yeah. that eases the pain a little bit. I got you. So we got Just a spit, yeah. got you from we got you and went to Mel. TB went to Seneca. So we got lots of. You know the Derby City covered this evening. We all love you for everything you do on Twitter, Corey P O eight. Um, yeah. How long have you been just researching and, and putting out nuggets of knowledge, regardless of sport, as far as Kentucky's concerned? You have a lot of good stuff you tweeted out Saturday after the North Thank Carolina game. How did you kind of get into it and get started or or even become what you've become, research trivia-wise? Well, um, I have always loved sports, and more specifically I've loved uh, uh, U.K. sports. And uh, to coincide with that, I've always loved numbers. Uh, I got my degree in math from, from U.K., so I'm not really sure there's a better pairing of sports and numbers than and sports stats. So, um, as early as I can recall, I would look up um, just old record books, even as a kid, and just write down stuff. I mean, I obviously uh, Twitter was not around when when I was growing up, but uh, pretty much as soon as Twitter became uh, what it what it is now, um, I've been posting stuff on. Uh, anything and everything I could find about UK that would be deemed uh, positive. And uh, it helped me uh, actually get a gig with uh, UK 
they started allowing me to help them at their football home games with their game notes starting in 2015. And actually, uh, I actually sat next to Terry for one of the games in the press box. I think it was maybe last year, I think. Yeah. So we kind of yeah, we were sad about that. We, yeah. Yeah. So we 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 talked for kind of that game. That was that was that was good. So yeah, it's pretty much. Um, I try and find whatever, whatever I can find, and just bring it to the uh, the masses. Yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about the game Saturday, and and just how efficient, you know, TV, you know, offensively, and and saw where you tweeted out, you know, Kentucky had assists on eighty five percent of their baskets. I mean, you can't, you yeah. know. Can't do it much better than that, and if I retweeted that, I don't retweet as means I should, but I saw where you tweeted that out, and just confirming what we saw with our own eyes about about how well they did play. Yeah, 24 assists on 28 Mayfield goals is about as unselfish as you can be as a team. So that was that was awesome to see, definitely. Because last year there were some stretches where we had, like, no assists or, like, one or two over the course of a game, you know. So, you look at the way the offense was last year to what we saw on Saturday, that that's great. That, that, that to me, like you're saying, Corey, that, that's something that, that's going to be a good thing moving forward. Yeah, I, I think we got spoiled with uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Point in uh, 2016. He he was always so unselfish and just amazing pass the ball. And the last two seasons were kind of not as good on on sharing the ball. And I think uh, this past Saturday was a glimpse of what we we can do on on the offense. Definitely, definitely. It's uh, the roles are becoming a little more defined. Uh, Ashton Higgins is kind of taking control of the point guard spot. Terry mentioned uh, Reed Travis, P.J. Washington, kind of being like you know Chuck Hayes and Eric Daniels 2.0. So you can kind of, you know, this past Saturday was a big step towards them becoming what they want to be or being able to see what they want to be. You know, still early and there'll still be some, you know, ups and downs, but, you know, a lot of, Everybody that was in a panic can kind of calm down and actually get a visual of the potential. It was uh, it was quite odd actually. Um, hours after the game ended, um, the the official uh, box score changed to give Ashton that that uh, eight eight steal. So he he uh, ended up tying the school record for most steals in the game. So that was a nice. A nice, nice gift for him. And, and he yeah. earned it. And, and, oh, yeah. And, and, and we were talking earlier, you know, the numbers, you know, we talk about Anthony Davis and his blocks, and but it's those plays. It's not just the number that he gets, but it's those – and I don't know if there's a, a, a formula for it, but it's just those steals, those eight, you know, really could turn out to be like, 11 or 12, just from the way he changes the way the game is actually played. Definitely. I mean, he, 
he he definitely set set the tone on on defense, and it showed. Uh, uh, I think UNC shot under forty three percent, which for them is uh, pretty bad. I mean, they were averaging about ninety four points a game coming uh, into this past Saturday, so it definitely definitely influenced uh, RD for sure. Absolutely. And TB, you mentioned PJ Washington flirting with triple doubles, Draymond style, the second player only. And Corey tweeted this out. I mean, you know, I don't mean to just come on, have you come on and then read you your tweets, but <laughs> it's still <laughs> it's still impressive. <laughs> the PJ Washington is the second player in the Cal era to have a stat line of 11, 10, 8, and two blocks. John Wall's the other guy uh, nearly nine years ago this February against Mississippi State. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, Terry, you mentioned P.J. Um, you mentioned Draymond Green. Remember back in our day, Scotty Pippen used to do that. You see him do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and and stuff the stat sheet. And that's exactly what P.J. did against against Carolina. So a, a huge effect on the ball game on on both ends. Yeah, uh, I think people expect the 11 points, 10 rebounds, and two blocks from P.J. But I think what surprised most people was the the uh, the eight eight assists. It was pretty pretty impressive his his passing ability on Saturday. It, and it reminded me, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but since it's Louisville week, you you guys remember the the 2010-11 game at the Yum Center where Jorts put up you know 25 26 points, but it was it was right. Terrence Jones that had become a willing passer that people didn't think he had that in his repertoire. You know, he was getting that double-team attention and laying it off to George and letting George do the work. And it goes back to when these Cal teams become willing passers, I mean, watch out. You know, if, if P.J.'s going to shoot 20 times a game, okay, you can defend that. But if he's going to do a little bit of everything, take the double-team and drop it off to Reed Travis, well, now your defense has to respect that a lot, right? Right. Uh, Terrence, he he actually had five assists that game, which was the mm-hmm. second highest ever at at the uh, uh, UK. <clears throat> and and like I said, that that paved the way for that blowout win. Hopefully, we can get another blowout win this weekend. <laughs> um, I, I hope so. <laughs> How are you feeling about it? They're nine and three, and they move what that is. Got some common opponents on the schedule. They beat Seton Hall. They played Tennessee pretty close for about 35 minutes and losing by 11. Um, let's see. Um, it's, it's, they played with Robert Morris the other day and, and had a little bit tougher time than a lot of people saw. But overall, they're better than a lot of people saw in year one under Chris Mack. TB, is, as we know, this is the first true road game for Kentucky. Um but as we also know, they've they eased a lot of anxiety for the fan base with what they did Saturday against North Carolina. So, what's the feeling when nine two Kentucky tips it off at two o'clock against nine three Louisville? Uh, well, uh, I think it begins and ends with with the three for us. Uh, 
both on offense and defense, um, were towards the very bottom of the country in making and attempting threes, uh, 339th attempts, 308th in makes. Although uh, we we took 26 against UNC on Saturday, so maybe that that will go up. And then uh, as we've seen this entire season, we're pretty bad at uh, defending the three. Uh, we're 335th after 151 teams in percentage defense. So uh, I think the game, like I said, begins and ends, uh, but behind the arc. Uh, obviously, we have to limit their their threes. They're uh, not the best at shooting three. They're uh, making about 36% of, of, of their threes. So I think if we can hold them to around that, that percentage, and we, we have a pretty pretty good shot. Definitely. Your thoughts, TB? Because you will be there. <laughs> Obviously, I, I want to win, but I, I think the, the the Louisville, you know, them being able to turn the page and get to, to, to Coach Mack, I think is a good thing. Uh, what I said earlier still holds. I think we've got to come out and match that energy from the jump because Chris Mack and, and those guys – they are in. They are enthused. They are excited, and and really, I, I think historically this has been the the, the way it goes uh, when you look at this series, particularly since 1983. Most of the time, Kentucky has the talent. Most of the time, you go yep. roster to roster, and you're probably going to pick maybe two, maybe three Kentucky guys before you would pick a Louisville player in a pickup game. And I'm not saying that as a negative. I just think that's generally the way it goes. So what happens, particularly the games at Louisville, is we lose those games in the first four or five minutes, usually, is if we can't come out, match that energy, and really put a stop to that excitement and get the crowd out of it, you know, then we, that's, you know, going back to the Jorts game, that's what happened. You know, even 2013 where we lost, where Archie uh, Goodwin went berserk for 30 points, you know, that was a game because, hey, you know, we, we kept the crowd kind of out of it. So that is key. Uh, again, uh, echoing what Corey said, got to defend the three, although Louisville's not quite the three-point bombs away team. They were with Francisco Garcia and Tyquan Dean and those guys, Luke Hancock and whatnot. we still got to defend it because we've seen one three leads to another three, and now you've got Quentin Snyder going for a career high against you. So that's got to, we've got to match their energy uh, from the jump. Uh, I think the Cats can, but, you know, it's a, it's a tall order. You know, it's just a 70-mile drive, but, you know, walking in the Yum Center, I, I can tell you guys, it, it's going to be, it's going to be rowdy <laughs> when the Cats get in there. It looks like Jordan, Jordan Nora is the guy for Louisville, right at 18 and 9 per game. Uh, assist and a steal, 40% three-point shooter, uh, 50% from the field. Be a fun matchup, probably more than likely between him and, and P.J. Washington. He's 6'8", about 220. Uh, I think he got a lot of guys they can throw at him, but uh, if it isn't P.J., that'll be fun to watch. 
it, and and as far as the talent, uh, I, I think since Patino's not there, we're not going to see Louisville muck it up. You know, all the talk of you know Cal and Patino, the games just weren't aesthetically pleasing. They're they're no, choppy. No. You know, the grabby. Uh, you know, the games are in the fifties. I think I don't have it in front of me, but I think yeah. when Tyler Ulis got a bloody eye, that game was in the fifties. And they're just not yeah. great games. Which for my 50, money right, kinda... It was uh, 58 to 50, yes, correct. Yeah, that's just not a pleasing game when you look at how, the, how talented we were in the other games we played. So I think there's going to be a little bit more of a free-flowing game. I haven't watched a lot of Louisville, so I don't know how they do defensively. But uh, I think the key to this one is definitely going to be the environment. Can the Cats handle a true road game where it's not just a road game, it's kind of the non-conference game. So uh, we'll kind of figure out mm-hmm. in, the, in the TV timeout, you kind of want to know how we are. You know, last year, you know, we were up – we called them pretty good last year, that first TV timeout. So we got to see if we can do that again this year. There's a, sure. there's a, there's a uh, interesting nugget um, – Obviously, the last time we played at Yum, we lost a close one by three. But uh, since '83, we've never lost consecutive road games against Louisville. So obviously, if mm. history holds up, um, we should have a, a victory on Saturday. And, go, and that's the thing that that kind of and, and I get it. It's a rivalry game for them. And this is allow me to get on a tangent here, fellas. Because after the 56-10 to 10 football game, a lot of Louisville fans were kind of saying, oh, you know, you've only won two out of the last six and whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. My thing is apply that logic to basketball. If, if Kentucky football isn't a rival to Louisville football, which, you know, I'd say it is, then what about men's basketball? Like, yeah, it's, like you're saying, Corey, they, they've never won consecutive games in Louisville was never beaten Kentucky three straight times. It's more than a two to one. That's not a rivalry. It, it, if it were, if this were the same percentage against Vanderbilt, it wouldn't be a rivalry. Or if this was, you know, any. Uh, but if, apply that same logic. If you're going to say, hey, you know, you only won two out of the last six. Well, you've only won two out of the last eleven. So, is it a rivalry? I mean, I say it yeah. is, but my thing is keep that same energy. So, right. We're talking with Corey Price. Follow me on Twitter at CoreyTO8. Is there uh, other places where they can find your statistical knowledge too, Corey, in addition to Twitter? Uh, No, uh, right now it's just uh, currently on Twitter, CoreyP08. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, constantly dropping out knowledge. We know. We're less than a week now till the Citrus Bowl, Kentucky Penn State in Orlando, New Year's Day. Um, 20 years to the day since Kentucky played Penn State on New Year's Day uh, in the Outback Bowl. What factoids and nuggets of note has has kind of jumped out to you leading up uh, to the bowl game coming up, Corey? Well, I noticed that uh, Penn State is uh, excellent in the, the red zone, both on offense and defense. They're fourth in the country in 
red red zone defense and sixth in the country in red zone uh, offense. So um, we had to try to find a way to put the ball in the end zone once we get inside the 20, which unfortunately we have not been that good ourselves in, in the red zone. We are 100th in the country in red zone offense. So that's going to have to change because uh, they've shown that they can definitely stop their opponent once they get close, close to the end zone. Uh, also, um, Penn State doesn't uh, hold on the ball very well. They're 117th out of 129 teams in fumbles lost, and that plays into our into our favor because uh, Josh Allen leads the country in uh, forced fumbles. So, uh, obviously, we, we all know what Josh uh, has the ability to do, so... I think he can get to um, McSorley, and he can do do some strip sacks. Obviously, if you can, you can turn turn it over and get your team more possessions than than, than the opponent. That's obviously a pretty good recipe for for success. For sure, for sure, and um, the the motivation factor always plays a role in bowl games. You, you see, some teams want to be there. Some teams might think they should have been at a a better bowl in their minds, and, and that plays a role. Uh, starting to hear that maybe Penn State might be more into it, or at least their fans are, than we initially thought. You know, I think that they've taken some more fans down there uh, than we thought they would. But we know how Kentucky fans feel about it, and we know how the team feels about it. We've got, you know, Top five draft pick Josh Allen uh, decided to play. Benny Snell uh, opted to go to the draft, but got finished unfinished business. He's going to play. So, you know, from the Kentucky end, everybody's going to be locked in and engaged and, and wanting to go for 10 wins. Uh, we had a guy that covers Penn State on a couple weeks ago, and he said, TB, that this would be the first time that Penn State if they win, we'll have won 10 games three consecutive years since the early 80s, which was surprising to both of us, given their kind of rich football tradition. So, uh, you know, they might be into it, they might not, but Kentucky's got to worry about what, you know, got to worry about themselves, regardless of which Penn State team shows up. Because we've seen Kentucky get the bowl games the past few years, we know they want to get to one and win one. They lost a close one to Northwestern last year, the whole Benny ejection thing, lost to Georgia Tech the year before. They do want to go and leave a bowl game with a trophy and a win. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, I don't know how much more we need to be uh, hyped for the game. I mean, could be our third 10-win season in school history. It's pretty yeah. – uh, it's about as big. And then, uh, obviously, uh, the fans can't help but get get behind Josh and Benny because um, no one would have faulted them for not playing the bowl game to get, get ready for, for the draft. But, like you said, uh, they both know they have uh, some, some un, unfinished business. So uh, I think our fans are going to be pretty pumped. Um I'm sure Penn State will probably out outnumber us in terms of numbers. Uh, I mean, their stadium, their home games. They, you know, 
106,000. So, but I think just the the passion and the 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 crowd uh, energy, I think we'll probably be even, even though they might have us uh, outnumbered out, out per se. I, I agree with you. I'm not betting against the Big Blue Nation because they can no. get flat out rowdy even for football. So I'm not I'm not going to bet against them. <laughs> no. That's right. That's right. And win or lose, and you know, and a lot of times you, you might get to a bowl game, and just you know, you know, if you lose, fine. And like, you, it would have been cool to see them beat Northwestern last year, but you know, you had a good season, made it to a bowl, you did come up short. But this one, I think a lot of people really do because, like you mentioned, Corey, ten wins. Doesn't happen very often. Uh, hasn't happened, or hasn't happened in your lifetime. It's barely happened in mine and Terry's. I think we were infants the last time it happened in '77. So you know, this is this isn't the norm. You know, Coach Stoops and company are working to make it more of a normal and consistent occurrence, uh, and looking to maybe. Reload more in recruiting as opposed to rebuilding, as we've been seeing for a lot of years. But if win or lose, the floor, you know, the bar has been set as far as embarrassing performances has to be Houston and Army in that bowl game, where Houston gets beat seventy to fourteen. Um, I think as far as a disappointing showing, that's going to take the cake for the entire bowl season. I think it's safe to say that they will win the most embarrassing performance in the bowl this season, the Houston Cougars. Yeah, Houston obviously doesn't see a lot of uh, option in their conference. So, uh, <laughs> I think they they capitalized this year on uh, a lot of teams just they're not used to the way they play, and, and it's, they ran all, all over them. Uh, it's pretty, pretty pretty embarrassing. Yeah. And Major Applewhite is catching all kinds of heat because you don't see it, but you still had, you know, three weeks. You know, Georgia Tech didn't put 70 on Kentucky <laughs> in the bowl game a couple years ago. It was, what, 33 to 18 or something like that. But, yeah, that right. uh, I glanced at the TV and it was fifty-six to seven, and I thought, "Whoa!" And I didn't even know that Army still put up two more touchdowns after that. I didn't know they hung a seventy spot on Houston. And I know they're not Power Five, but they they have a good team. You know, they got Ed Oliver. They beat Louisville with Lamar the week before Kentucky did. So Houston has been, you know, working their way up the big boy ladder for a little bit. So. Uh, you know, for them to get seventy put on like that was was unbelievable. Uh, I, uh, I would assume Houston probably wanted their bowl the bowl game canceled uh, early in the game, just like the um, the game <laughs> today. Probably. Yeah, the first responder bowl with all the lightning in Dallas. Um, yeah. Did you see the the one guy's tweet? I don't even know who it was. I retweeted him, but he said UCF has now claimed. The first responder bowl championship. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Yeah. 
So I mean, and like you know, he's kind of winning Twitter right now with that one. But um, yeah. are you a big bowl guy? I I watch the regular season religiously, and then the bowl games are kind of eh until you get to you know Kentucky game and then the playoff game. So how are you when it comes to the bowls? Uh, I I love the bowls. Uh, I tend to gravitate more towards the ones that involve the Power Five teams. Honestly, if you can watch college football in in the December, I, I'm I'm all for it. So, the more football, the the better for me personally. Yeah, so I'm I'm ramping back into it, um, especially with the playoff games this weekend. Who are you you got between Alabama, Oklahoma, and Clemson and Notre Dame? Well, uh, it's tough with Bama. Um, Typically, when they have a long time to prepare for an opponent, it doesn't go well for the opponent. But uh, Oklahoma's offense is on a different level this year. So it's it's going to be pretty tough. Um, I guess I'm going to have to give the slight edge to Bama still, just because they do have all that time to prepare. And then um, I think even without uh, – is it – is it Dexter Lawrence that's out for Clemson? Or, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, defensive lineman. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, even without Dexter, uh, Clemson's defense is too much for Notre Dame. I think uh, the schedule for Notre Dame was kind of on the soft side this year. I don't think they were tested too much. So I'll say, uh, like, I sound like a broken record, but it'll be Bam and Clemson. And, uh, I think once again, I think Bama's going to take it. Saban's never really had a really dominant offense. He, I mean, he's always had a great defense, but it, I mean, this is the first time he's had a truly a great offense. So, if you give Saban a, a great offense with a great defense, it's it's almost not even fair, honestly. Right, that's true. That's true. And and they had, I mean, they were potent offensively last year. And scored a lot of points on Georgia, but Georgia still, you know, won fifty four to fifty four to forty eight or something like that in overtime. So I don't know if they can put up that many on Alabama. Maybe they they maybe they are that legit, but defensively, you know, they've had several inferior teams put up a lot of points on them. They made a change at defensive coordinator and it, it still didn't go that great, so uh and like you said, now yeah. that Alabama has an offense, <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma's defense hasn't been worth anything anyway. It's, it's really hard to see them handling Bama in all phases of the game. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone in the Big 12 actually believes in, in defense, actually, so it's <laughs> not going to help them. That's it. I think Gary, Pat- Gary Patterson tried at TCU for a couple of years, and I think maybe he even gave up. <laughs> Pretty much. Man, Corey, I can't thank you enough for, for hopping on with us and, and giving us some great knowledge and insight. Everybody is, you know, better for following you on Twitter and all the tweets you put out. Followed you on the show. I thought we already were, but just did so while we were talking with you. Uh, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Good luck to mail the rest of the way. Uh, if they thank meet you. Terry Seneca... Squad, I don't know. Uh, I just let I let y'all fight that out in the streets a little bit between yourselves. 
Is it okay if I bring up one more nugget concerning the uh, basketball game? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, since 1983, UK is 21-1 against Louisville when Louisville scores 69 points or less. So, obviously, if we can hold them uh, under 70, it's historically it's almost a, uh, a guaranteed win right there. You said 21-1? You said 21-1 since 1983. Louisville scores 69 points or less. And that's about as much of a guarantee as 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 you can get. I found one more other uh, kind of odd odd thing. Um, obviously, this is Chris Max for first year at Louisville. I look back at the first regular season game against each Louisville head coach that they've had since '83, which they've only had three so far: Crum, Pacino, and Padgett. But in uh, UK's first regular season game against Denny Crum, they beat Louisville by 21. That was in November of 83. And then in their first game against Rick Pitino, they beat Louisville by 20. That was in December of 2001. And then obviously last year, uh, the first game against David Padgett, they won by 29. So uh, Louisville's first game against UK uh, for a, a new head coach usually doesn't bode uh, very, very well for him. Based on that, if Chris Mack loses by 19, he should get a raise. Yes, exactly. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for stuff. all those nuggets. I, I, we're going to tweet those out because uh, there's some fan account, Louisville fans are, are tweeting around uh, uh, about, you know, the games that they've won against the U.K., which you can do when they've been so few. Uh, right. I mean, so I'm gonna... even <laughs> even even when Twitter was at 140 characters, they they could list all of their wins against this. So, and I don't find a rivalry as as much as I used to, but with them just being so like football, like you know, they're Alabama. Well, you know, men's basketball, hey. I'm going to talk that up a little bit. So I really appreciate the, the numbers there, Corey. Well, Terry, as as you know, growing up in Louisville, um, I mean, we hear it from people we, we work with, people we go to school with, maybe in summer, friends, maybe even family, I don't know, in in, in your case. But uh, we we had to hear it from them uh, pretty much daily. So it, uh, it's definitely nice for me when, when we beat them, for sure. Oh it, yeah, it 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 makes uh, family gatherings a whole lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you can celebrate the yeah. year with the win over U of L. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep, yep for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Man, Carter, we can't thank you enough, man. Definitely appreciate thank it. You. We'll have to get you on again sometime. And yeah. I look forward yeah. to meeting you in the press box one day, like TV did. Yeah. Uh, well, if you're ever at the uh, football games, then uh, I, w- I would be glad to, to, to meet you. All right. Yeah. I'll look you up next year for sure. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Corey. You have a good rest of the evening. Thank you so much, Corey. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Corey Price, statistician extraordinaire. 
dropping crazy knowledge. Doesn't matter to Sport TV. Corey is researching it and tweeting it out and informing the big blue masses. Absolutely, he he's he's fantastic. He knows this stuff on the off the top of his head, and and you know you can tell he loves numbers almost as much as he loves Kentucky. So this kind of thing, uh, if you're not following him, I, I know Big Blue History. They've got the, all the spreadsheets and all this kind of stuff, and I love going there. But Corey's the one that'll dive in and give you little nuggets to make you say, "Well, wait a minute," you know. And I mean. Kentucky's twenty-one and one, holding move under seventy points. That's a nugget. That's 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 pretty darn good, you know. So uh, even in those games that are kind of ugly in the fifties, there's still a good chance we're going to win. So I like it. I like it. So would you let that sink in? Since the rivalry renewed in nineteen eighty-three. Louisville's been held under what was it sixty nine points twenty two times? Yeah. Yeah, twenty one and what twenty two out of thirty five matchups? <laughs> they haven't yeah. broke seventy. Crazy. Crazy. That is staggering. It really is. You had to let that sink in for sure. We'll take a quick break, man. Appreciate Corey again. This is Cast Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown. We've been talking UK, UNC, and it's Louisville Week, which is, carries a lot of weight for the entire fan base, but especially for Louisville residents such as yourself and Corey Price. Uh, as we roll on towards Saturday afternoon when the cast and cars tip it off at the Yum Center. We'll take a quick break right now. Catch Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, Bradley Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Y'all stay with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Catch up Wednesday. Benny Hardy, Terry Brown. Louisville week. 9-2 Kentucky getting set to go to the Yale Center. Play Louisville cards this coming Saturday. We've had a fun conversation with Corey Price. Football stats, basketball stats, he's all over it. Corey P08, be sure to follow him. We appreciate him coming on and just dropping all the nuggets that he did while he was on with us. You tweeted out the one, uh, I forget which one it was. You tweeted out one of them already. The first nugget he gave us, you tweeted out. Uh, and then he gave us that last one where Kentucky being 21-1 and one when holding over under 69 points. So just unbelievable insight. Uh, and we appreciate And look, everybody that, that follows him appreciates everything he does. Cause it's, and he loves to do it. So, uh we always learn something from Corey. Yeah, uh, and like I said, he 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 just knows this stuff, and he's got a passion for it. And I'm glad that he's you know he's able to to share that with us. And it's not just uh, men's basketball and football. I mean, he was throwing out nuggets for the volleyball team. He was throwing out nuggets, you know, for all the teams. You know, we still have eight teams ranked. You know, as we sit right here, December of 2018, still the most in the country. So, again, that narrative that it's just men's basketball, well, you know, not exactly. So, you know, I think it's a couple of weeks into January we'll get the the Director's Cup rankings for uh, the fall season. And you have to feel good that at the very minimum, top ten, at the very minimum, and I would say creeping toward number five, the success that the – the, the, the Kentucky had in the fall. For sure. For sure. Unbelievable. Um, talked a lot about the game Saturday. And, look, the women are still rolling right along, too. Um, they already had the robbery game. We talked about that last week. But they are uh, – we talked about having a bounce-back season, and they are doing just that, you know, uh, we talked last year about you know, the the director's cup standards and things like that, where they finished. And you had the basketball team have a bit of a down year. You had the baseball team, you know, maybe still should have made a tournament, didn't make the tournament. But you had a, still a solid year across the board with those two squads not being where they want to be. So now the basketball team is already taking steps to rectifying that, and no doubt. Coach Mingione will as well. They move into the new stadium uh, to kick off baseball season. So, like you mentioned, it'll it'll just boost them up even more. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's see. Um, gotta go ahead and well, let me mention this first before I start letting all this purple and gold flow through the show. Bad as I hate to. <laughs> Um, last Friday, uh, I mentioned it on the show last week, mentioned that our, our buddy uh, Craig Bates was having a, a charity hockey game there in Knoxville at the Civic Coliseum. Uh, it was this past Friday evening. They played two games, uh, two 25-minute halves. Uh, it was for charity. A guy from the Knoxville Ice Bears, last name is Swider. He used to play for the Ice Bears. And in fact, he's one of the best players in the league that the Ice Bears are in, the Knoxville Ice Bears. His, his jersey is on the Raptors. 
I'd been, my wife and I had been to a hockey game, you know, several years ago, go went down there and checked them out. Uh, you know, if I saw his jersey, I didn't pay any attention to it. But he has organized the, the charity game, the whole event, and one of the big beneficiaries is East Tennessee Children's Hospital, and they do lots of great work with with youngsters, uh, pediatric-wise, and, and young children who uh, are as healthy and are fortunate to be as healthy as we want our young children to be. But they had two games. Uh, Craig's team played in the first game, and then they had a, another game following that. So I was going to take my boys down there, and uh, we we <laughs> sat right there and pounded on the glass and uh, took in the whole environment. Saw Craig go out there and and mix it up and, and get his skate on and uh, for a good cause. Uh, he's told us time and time again we need to get down there and, and try to lace them up. And if we want to take lessons, we can do so. He's mentioned that it doesn't matter how old you are, and he's not lying because. On his team, and Craig is 50. You know, he's, he's, he's let us know, you know, he's got a decade on us. But there was a guy on his team that was 65, and that was still out there just doing his thing on the ice, which was it was cool to watch him. Um, the boys got a kick out of watching him. I did too. So we had a lot of fun. Got to meet him after the game. You know, we had changed and, and come out and got to talk with Craig and hang out with him. Got to meet his lovely wife, Jenny. She was up there at the front, at the ticket area, you know, when everybody was coming in. So got to meet them. Um, just as great a guy as you would think. You know, he's always been so gracious to come on and talk hockey with us and, and drop hockey knowledge. And it was fun finally being able to, to meet somebody that we had known for so long. Yeah, I saw all the pictures, but uh... – you know, uh, I'm glad that you were able to, to meet Craig, and it seemed like you all had a good time. And as we said at the the top of the show, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of great guests and Craig and, and get to know him and him coming on, uh, you know, and and uh, being our resident hockey expert and, and all that and getting to know him and his family. Uh, I was glad to see you all able to do that. Yeah, yeah, so appreciate him. Um let me know that he had the game and glad it worked out where he was able to, to get down there and check it out. Uh, it would still be a hilarious comedy of all comedies when I do get on the ice. That would be something to see. And I'll just have to go ahead and I'd be proofing up because I'll, I'll definitely be meeting the ice <laughs> quite a bit whenever it does happen. But it was a fun event and, and they did a good job. Everybody did. So it was really cool. Yesterday being Christmas Day, we go to NBA. It's on center stage. You know, the season kind of officially, unofficially really kicks off in some people's minds once the Christmas Day games roll around. Um, Milwaukee took care of New York in the first one. Kevin Knox had a good showing. Still just outmanned. Uh, Porzingis can come back healthy. David Fisdale will have you know, a nice little something to maybe work with. It was cool seeing Kev and the Greek Freak kind of go back and forth for a little bit there in the second half. Uh, of course, Milwaukee is off to a great start, and they, you know, pulled away as you would expect. 
Rockets took care of business against the Thunder. Uh, he was messing with my man's James Harden suit, and he did look like who is it? Is it is it Don Juan, the famous pimp? He came in green. It's a Don Magic Juan. That's right. Yes, it did. <laughs> and I've, I've seen you shade me on Twitter, deservedly so. But you know, he he did. If you go if you go walk in like that, you better you better ball out and hit your team get a win. And, and the beard did just that. They were able to beat Russell and the Thunder. And seeing, you know, and look, it's former cat all over the place. But watching my Rockets, you, you have Patterson out there uh, mixing it up a little bit, hitting some shots, getting some rebounds. Nerland's blocking shots. Hamdou Diallo out there checking Harden. And, you know, I have love for all of y'all, but I'm still glad my Rockets were able to get the win as they try to claw back out of the bad start. You know, they're finally a couple games above 500. Got a lot of tough games coming up uh, over the next little bit. Denver and Milwaukee. Got the Celtics tomorrow. So, you know, it's it's, it's really a good check period coming up for the Rockets. Um after that, we get to the 8 o'clock game, the primetime nightcap game, and the, the team from Southern California, the SoCal team, went up to Oakland and laid the wood to the defending champs. In spite of the franchise going down with an injury for the first time that we've, you know, we've probably ever seen that, and that happened as well. Were you were you looking in on your Lakers yesterday? You know, were you, were you checking them out? Yeah, I watched it. Uh, I didn't watch all the games, uh, but I I did. You know, put it on my list to make sure I watched the uh, the Lakers and defending that uh, defending national defending world champion. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. You know, we 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 kind of talked about how Cal operates uh, and kind of what we should expect year to year and people keep acting like it's brand new. Number one, LeBron is still playing at a ridiculously high level his 16th season into the league. And as we've seen what happens from his rookie year to Cleveland to going to Miami to going back to Cleveland, we see wherever he goes, you know, it's a 20 to 30 or or so win difference from the year before. And we keep acting shocked. And I know people were feeling warm and fuzzy with this Lakers roster. I know that they're going to be making moves. So there are good players on this roster. I think it has to do with the Lakers, who have dropped some games they probably shouldn't have dropped, uh, I think, to Brooklyn and, and, and whatnot. And they looked dreadful against Washington earlier this week. But a primetime game, uh, a game where they had to make a statement, and they did. You know, I don't know if it translates to – uh, what you expect to uh, see come playoff time should that matchup occur. Uh, but I think it, it, it says that the Lakers are moving up. And really, with another 20-point loss, and I think this is like the third or fourth one uh, at home that the uh, Warriors have had, that, that the luster is coming off. They may still win this year. They still may win the, the championship, but you know, three in a row is is that's when the wheels come off, right? Uh, they should have probably lost to your uh, Rockets in the playoffs last year. So the 
although they may win, I think that the we're starting to see a little bit of that Warriors luster come off, unless and until Boogie Cousins comes back, puts up twenty and ten, and they go fifteen and one or sixteen to one in the playoffs. At that point, you know, all this may be moot. But uh, I was excited, you know. Uh, I, I know it's not the playoffs and and all that kind of stuff, but as a Lakers fan, yeah, you you, you like to see it. You love to see. Uh, you know, my team back in the mix because they haven't been for a couple of years. And, and, you know, their last championship is still not 10 years old. So it's not like it's been forever and ever since they won, you know, 1995. But when I see at, uh, you know, people talking about, you know, Lakers fans, slow down, slow down. You know, LeBron and all those guys are practicing their facility with 16 Larry O'Brien trophies. So, they're not going to get overwhelmed by seeing a team with a couple banners hanging up. It's not like they have two. The Lakers have more than two world championships. They have, you know, they've had a couple of Hall of Famers uh, play uh, in the purple and gold. Uh, you know, they've had a few MVPs, you know, play for the Lakers organization. Uh, you know, not like the, the, the beard, uh, you know, just one guy. But I, I just think, that when you look at a franchise like the Lakers, okay, we're getting back to the Lakers' birthright. So honestly, I like to I like to see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lakers dropped some games that they shouldn't have dropped. I didn't hear you mention that. Uh, dropped a couple of games to the Rockets this season already as well. So just throw that out there. I mean, I, I get the whole batter thing and all that, but they. They are on two against Houston. Just saying. I know that's a loss for every banner in the in the uh, compact center. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Whoa, I'm dating okay. myself. Compact center. Whoa! Whoa! Man. <laughs> wow! It's, the, it's, not, it's not the summit anymore either. It's at the Toyota Center. Thank you. We got a, got a new okay. arena and a corporate sponsor, just like Staples. Yeah. I wish they would just get unique with the names, but that's never going to happen again. Too much money, and, you know. We got we got we got advertising on the the jerseys now. The Lakers have Wish on their jerseys, and the Rockets have Rocket on theirs. So you know that's even crept into the NBA. You know, you used to just see it on, you know, MMA all over the ring and on dude shorts and stuff. And then the WNBA got it and, you know, Mikey had it on everything, but now it's, it's even slipped on into the NBA. Uh, they uniquely naming your arena is gone. There won't just be a, a form at Inglewood or, you know, it would be a whatever, SoCal, wine, whatever. Sponsorship wants to buy it. That's you know, that's been the case for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's you know, and I was impressed as bad as I hate your Lakers. When LeBron went out, they didn't fold, and you know we talked about how North Carolina made runs at Kentucky. You know, they cut it to six, couldn't get over that hump. Kentucky was able to kind of keep him at arm's width. 
the the Warriors made a, a patented run because you mentioned another twenty point loss, and you also had them facing another fifteen point deficit at halftime. I think that was the third or fourth time that had happened. Um, and some people maybe want to chalk it up to their board, but it is probably signs of more concerning than that. You know, and like you said, they might win this year. Maybe they are just, you know, slogging through uh, until they get to the spring in this playoff time. But there is, you know, Steve Kerr a few weeks ago, back when Curry was out, was talking about this is the real NBA here. Talking about we we haven't been living in the real NBA for several years because we've just had so much prosperity. Not as much the case anymore. You know, they've been looking up at Denver in the Western Conference standings for a long time. Um, teams have been, you know, putting whoopings on them when they are able to. The Lakers have lost what, 12 in a row overall to Golden State. Uh, hadn't won an Oracle in six or seven years and emphatically ended all of that yesterday. And even when the building was hopping, and you could just feel all the momentum going back Golden State's way. The Lakers minus LeBron were able to hold it together and then run away again, you know. I turned it on at halftime and, you know, near halftime, saw that 15-point Lakers lead. Oh, man, you know, plenty of time. Golden State's going to make a run. But credit them for withstanding that weather in the storm and, and then – running away with it again, you know, up by 30 at one point. The reserves were coming in bombing threes. It was Everything was just going right for the Lakers. It was all rolling yesterday. And, and, and Rajon Rondo, who we know here in, in, in Kentucky, he's, he's a peculiar kind of guy. Like, he, he's just one of those guys he's hard to, to peg, but he's he's a Great basketball player, great basketball mind, but I think it's going to be one of those situations you look back at his career and he kind of got it his own way a little bit. But honestly, he if, if he could get into playoff Rondo mode, you know, the Lakers could possibly do some things come, come playoff time. Uh, Ingram is coming along. Uh, Lonzo Ball, who I think because of the hype uh, and his, his dad kind of, overshadowed him should he have been the number two overall pick probably not I think it's clear De'Aaron Fox is going to be probably the more dynamic player but I think Ball is going to be solid you know he may not become an all-star but I think he's going to be a solid kind of not stop the stat sheet but do a lot of different things really really well Uh, and once we sign Anthony Davis uh, you know it's going to be uh, back to back to showtime, back to back to winning again. Well, you say once they sign Anthony Davis, is that what you said? You just assumed oh, that's, on that's, us. That's a, done, that's, that's a done deal, man. That's a done deal. <laughs> I'm, I'm man, speaking. I'm know. speaking that into existence. That's, that's that's a done deal. You know how toxic it is. Playing with LeBron, now you, you heard about that, right? It's, it's toxic now. Just uh, gotta AD, AD, just be AD, ready to. AD's ready. <laughs> and he's just gonna be 
what, gonna sign a supermax with the Lakers? Is you know multi year deal. I I don't Let's know the numbers. Uh, I'm not gonna pretend pretend to know the numbers and the ins and outs of the collective bargaining agreement. I know I can't wait to purchase an Anthony Davis uh, Lakers jersey. That's and... gonna be. The, I'm not buying another jersey until I get Anthony Davis on the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> so, is LeBron and you know we. Talk about the Warriors with, you know, chinks in the armor maybe starting to surface. Still maybe not over the whole KD Draymond thing from a few months ago. Is LeBron, he dodged a bullet. I saw where you, you know, tagged me in his tweet about his groin. Is LeBron finally now to Lakers fans chagrin? Gonna start to show the effect of all the miles he's logged throughout his illustrious career since coming straight out of high school, and now starting to have to battle injuries. You know, now that he's in purple and gold. It and I I I get that, and the thing is, I think I've said this before. Look at who he came into the league with. Carmelo is doing what. You know, Dwayne Wade is having his <laughs> farewell tour. Luke Walton is a coach and has been a coach. Uh, when I've tweeted this out before, and I've said it before. I, not to get into the Jordan Braun greatest of all time debate, but honestly, LeBron has been a top two or three player in the league for 15 years. I mean, that's you know, I know he hasn't finished an MVP voting top three every year, but still, you, you can make an argument that if you were just picking off NBA players, you know, in any given year, how long until you pick get to LeBron? And it's not very long at all. And he's been that way. He's logged a lot of minutes. He played every game last year. Uh, I think two years ago he sat the final regular season game uh, we haven't seen anybody be this good for this long and this, you know, injury-free. Uh, I think their next game, which, you know, I can understand that. But, yeah, I, I don't know if it's finally old age catching up with him, but I don't think we have seen anybody do this quite as long as LeBron. I mean, he's already played more minutes than Magic, already done more than Bird. and I mean, he, it, it's just ridiculous. I think we need to appreciate what he's done. Yeah, yeah. There's can't argue that. You you really can't. You know, even if you you may want to, which I I do, but you know, it's have to let it let it be. Um, and you know, maybe that is just a little hiccup. You know, he he didn't tear his groin a little strain, and you know, hashtag back in no time. Assuming he doesn't miss a beat the rest of the way, and you you do get Anthony Davis, how is it an awkward passing of the torch when LeBron will invariably, you know, he'll be thirty five and thirty six, will invariably start to show some decline? Will he be able to let AD be the man, or will that kind of get Brett Farvish, Aaron Rodgers ish? 
mean, uh, we speaking stuff in existence. So. I'm just, I'm just getting your thoughts. I, I, I don't think so. I think LeBron gets it, and I think that, you know, he's had uh, points where he has deferred. You know, Dwayne Wade uh, had glimpses in Miami, and, and LeBron, you know, deferred to uh, 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 to Kyrie in Cleveland during that championship run. I think, and this is just me, I don't know LeBron, haven't talked to him or anything like that, but I think he understands legacy. And even if he becomes option number two, and let's say Anthony Davis comes to L.A. and they get two or three titles, that still puts him in the conversation of, if you're going to see MJ, LeBron is the next guy out of your mouth when you're talking all time. And I think he gets it. I think that's why he went to L.A. It's, it's, he's to that point where he's looking at his legacy and how he's going to be remembered. Uh, again, you have seen players jump from one team to the next, but if he's able to, to, to win championships at different spots, that's a unique, that's a unique situation. You know, he's already been at the Eastern Conference Final eight straight times. You know, but if he's able to get L.A. another title, get L.A. back, oh, man, that's that's getting one of those marquee franchises. That's like, you know, being the, uh, you know, getting the Yankees back to the series or, or, or what have you. Mm. You know, if whoever, you know, if it's Dak Prescott or whoever that gets the Cowboys back to the playoffs, that's, you know, that's getting the marquee franchise back to that level. You know, although the Cowboys haven't been to a Super Bowl since 1995, but the things that you have to think about is LeBron being able to to do that with the Marquis franchise. (laughs) I'm surprised you have that digital. Of course, that would have been on you know on microfiche, but it you know. <laughs> but I, I think I think LeBron How is positioning. Man, the thing is, Jimmy Johnson has been—he's uh, been in the Fox pregame booth for like twenty years. But you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know, whatever. Yeah. You, know, you know, I give, I give that, so, <laughs> look, that, I think that, LeBron that happens that transition with. <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. I'm, no, I, mean, I think I you can make that through. transition uh, to, to to be in kind of the second banana. Uh, it'll, it'll be very similar, uh, not so much Shaq and Kobe, because Shaq was already kind of a man. We didn't know really what Kobe was when they joined forces. I, I think you'll probably look at more of uh, going back in Lakers history, kind of a, a, a Magic and Kareem where they have to kind of figure out that dynamic or Elgin Baylor and Jerry West and, and then bringing, uh, you know, West and Wilt Chamberlain on. So I think, you know, it'll be one of those uh, kind of duo situations. Mm, all right. Yeah. Good to go ahead and, and lay that out, how it's going to play out, because it's, it could very well play out that way. We, we shall soon see. Um Speaking of the Cowboys, they you know that Prescott taking them to the playoffs, they were able to do that this past Sunday. They they took care of Tampa Bay twenty seven to twenty and secured another NFC Eastern Division title. 
we had this conversation with a good friend, Anthony Epps, member of the 96 Champs, UK legend. Uh, <clears throat> we were able to talk some Cowboys talk in addition to talking UK basketball. Um, the, the playoff wins thing does. It is a monkey on the back that needs to be removed. Uh, you mentioned, you know, getting the Cowboys to the Super Bowl and all that. And that is, you, you can't have a shot at playing in the Super Bowl and, unless you make it to the playoffs. And, of course, the 49ers will be watching for however long Dallas is in there. Hopefully they're in there for a while. They do need to win a playoff game. Um Offensively, you know, a little bit of a struggle. Kind of like when Kentucky hit the, the the speed bumps offensively against South Carolina after the South Carolina game, where the running game wasn't clicking like it was, and there were several weeks where you, know, you kept hoping for it and it, and it didn't happen, and the team started loading the box for Benny and Terry wasn't beating them for a while. They were still winning. You had the Missouri win, the Vanderbilt win. Same thing Sunday against Tampa Bay. After being shut out in Indianapolis, then you sputter offensively at home against Tampa Bay, who has nothing to play for. Um, they were very generous, Tampa Bay, putting the ball on the ground with a lot of turnovers. Dallas got a touchdown uh, defensively. Tampa Bay turned it over again inside their own five-yard line that led to another Dallas score. So uh, this coming Sunday is it, and then it's where to go home after that. So against the Giants, I don't know if they're going to – how hard they're going to go and who all is going to play, but you'd like to see them clicking better offensively. You know, maybe they get Cooper going again. Um, one of the tight ends is hurt. I think it was Jeff Swain, and he has been playing well. So – there's a little bit of anxiety offensively. Defense is 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 ready. They've been playing lights out for a while, um, but you you're a little bit concerned with their offense going into the playoffs. But hey, at least they they won a division. They're in there, and go see what happens. Uh, hopefully, somebody can. I mean, I wish the Eagles had gotten knocked out. That probably won't happen. They're playing Washington to end the season. The Rams had a chance to beat them. Texans had a chance to beat them, and neither one could. Philly fans talking all that Nick Foles revival 2.0 again, and until you officially kill them, you know, they still have life. Uh, bad as I hate to say well, it. They do. I, I read an article about Nick Foles just having probably the most or one of the most unique careers in NFL history. You know, a couple of years ago, you know, he got cut, and I forget who cut him, but he was on his way out of football after that that season where he put up that ridiculous, you know, top two or three all-time passer rating season. And, you know, then he comes back from that, looks like a backup quarterback again, and then the run last year, and then he comes in and throws for a franchise record 400-plus yards, and it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of weird when you look at, yeah, he gives you this great stuff, but then, you know, he's completely pedestrian. And it's not that he's terrible. He's just, you know, probably a little bit below average, but he goes on these hot streaks. And again, like you said, you've got to, you got to kind of kill the Eagles and fold. 
But, you know, he's going to be able to look back and say, you know, Super Bowl MVP and all this kind of stuff. But just a career backup quarterback, it's kind of sort of like Jeff Hostetler for the Giants had that great run. And and then, you know, he got signed by the Raiders now. Davis and never quite looked like a serviceable QB after that. Uh, kind of like mm-hmm. Larry Brown, you know, that played for yeah. your Cowboys. You know, the last time they were in the Super Bowl, which was 1995, which was my senior year of high school. And so, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Bill Clinton was still in his first term uh, as our 41st president. Mm. But the thing is, when you look Mm -hmm. back, I'm coming with a lot of shame. I got to stop. I got to stop. I sense a lot of saltiness with the – Considering that the Jimmy Johnson, how about the Cowboys drop, occurred in the 49ers locker room, I think that's the source of a lot of this, you know, anger. I think that's what, you know, after knocking the Niners out in the NFC title game, that's when Jimmy uttered this famous line. Uh, and it was in San Francisco, in the bowels of Candlestick Park. I think that's what the needle that's just just in your scrawl right now. I might be wrong. Uh, a little bit. Uh, had it not been for the oh, Cowboys, okay. I think those those Niners teams probably could have got at least one or or two more Super Bowls. So yeah, um, <laughs> you know. And here's here's the thing about our teams. You know, you know, your team hasn't won since '95 season. My team hasn't won since '94 season. But even cool. with those droughts. You know, it's just the Patriots that are in that conversation with Super Bowl victories. Like, uh, yeah. you know, you got the Patriots and you got the Steelers, but no one else is kind of – I mean, think about it. You know, 20 years ago, you know, we were Super Bowl 30. You guys had won five. We had won five. You know, our teams had combined for a mm-hmm. third of all the Super Bowls at that point. So that's, that's still pretty yeah. pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. In that little weak division that I played in all the years. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, now, now not, you bring that up, that and I think the Patriots, <laughs> the Patriots, you know, have won the AFC East, you know, mm. for the you know fifteenth year row or whatever it is, something ridiculous. Yeah. And it's about it's about the same as what the Niners had. I'm not going to sit here and say the <laughs> NFC West was a powerhouse conference or division <laughs> when the you know, I'm not going to say that even uh, with my Lakers, the Pacific Division was rough when they were. I'm not going to sit here and defend that. So it does help. It really does help to uh, to be in a division that's not very good. You know, I will give because Rams Saints every year. <laughs> and, and I'll look, 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 look. I just throw a lot of shade. Throw a lot of shade, but. We know the NFC East historically, particularly you know late '80s, early '90s, was tough. And you had you know, yeah. you know, uh, you were going to the vet. You were going to have to really play the Meadowlands. You were going to have to play RFK Stadium. You were going to have to play Texas Stadium. So those teams that came out of the NFC East at that point, uh, that was that was a murderer's row. I mean, that was. Going through Lawrence Taylor and and those Giants teams and the Redskins and the Hogs and and you know the Eagles again you know they were the lone holdout to not win the Super Bowl, 
But mm-hmm. but you know that defense, and you know, and even Randall Cunningham that offense that was a lot to, uh, you know. Uh, so yeah, I tip my hat. Yeah, that was definitely it, uh, that quarter that quarterback run left on Tech Mobile with QB Eagles. I tell y'all, I need to know about Cunningham, even though he didn't. His name wasn't in the game. That quarterback runs to the left. Bo Jackson gets all the credit for taking the ball, but that, that Randall Cunningham sprint left run was, was tough, too. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so coming out of those divisions, you know, I get in the in the Patriots, you know, you know, the Bills have been bad. The Dolphins have been bad. And, and who else is in the East? I'm missing – the Dolphins, the, the Patriots, <laughs> the, the, Jets. The, the Jets. I mean, the lone <laughs> highlight is Mark Sanchez's butt fumble. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, I mean, they no. Now give them credit; they did go to back-to-back AFC Championship games. But other than that, yeah. what 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 have we seen? And the, you know, that was the same way with the 49ers and FC West back in the day. You know, uh, Jim Everett had some really good seasons. Uh, you know, for the Rams with with Flipper Anderson and 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 and, and whatnot, but not like the NFC East. I'm not going to say that. And and just this sums it up. I mean, the the Dolphins beat New England on you know the the lateral play where uh, Kenyon Drake outruns Gronk to the end zone and. That pulls them, you know, bring they kept New England from like winning the division. It, it kept Miami's playoff hopes alive and you know, all this optimism and this, that. And then, you know, two weeks later Miami still in the hunt, still having life, and they lose at home to the Jaguars this past Sunday. That sums it up. You know, yeah. handle your business against Jacksonville and then you know, you you can still make the Patriots sweat a little bit, but they couldn't even do that. Got thumped like seventeen to seven against Jacksonville, who's been dreadful all year. You know, they started off three and one, then lost seemed like ten or twelve in a row, and you know they've been irrelevant all season after going to the AFC title game. Jacksonville went to the title game last year, fell off the face of the earth this year, and then Miami lets them come in to their house. And knock them out like that. So that's you know you talk about the AFC East. That's in a nutshell right there. You know, beat the Patriots. Hey, great. Oh, can't even you know do what we need to do against Lowly Jacksonville. Um, I got flipping it up real quick, switch it around because I saw you tweeting about. Um, it's been a couple weeks ago. Netflix. You was you was you was on a kick watching. Uh, you said you watched Friday like seven times on Netflix. Something like that. Friday, Friday has been on Netflix since December first, and I think I'm probably up to like 14 times I've watched it in its entirety <laughs> since then. <laughs> Which is a, is a classic, you know. My God, young Chris Tucker. I'm a huge Rush Hour fan, but you know, and, you know he made it. I think the first one is the best because he was in it. Uh, and look, you know, John Witherspoon is a legend, and, and you know Ice Cube and all them. But it's it's a classic. Um, 
your Debo, Felicia, there's so much in there. And I just chuckled when I saw that you, you know, you've watched it even more since then. But I had I had to laugh when I saw you watching it and tweeting about it. And, and Friday, you know, it came out in 1995, the last time the Cowboys played in the Super Bowl. So, for me, it just takes me back to that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't know if I tweet out, but I was telling to my friends, you know, it's that moment where you're watching Friday and you relate more to Mr. Jones than you do with Craig. You relate more, oh, you, know, yeah. you know, when you're, you know, you're like, why didn't you do the chores I asked you to do? When you're like, well, why didn't he do those chores? That's when you know you're getting a little <laughs> bit older. And, and, and Friday, to me, it still holds up. Uh, you know, some uh, it, it's just it's just a great movie. It's 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 quotable. It just it it holds up. Uh, and I'm watching on Netflix like I don't have it on VHS, like I don't have it on DVD. And I'm sitting here, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's on Netflix. So I'm gonna watch it. Man, you know, because he asked the way to take the garbage out. I was asleep. Now I wish you was asleep right now. That's right. Every time I'm in the kitchen, oh. you're in the kitchen. Oh, it, oh, it, 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 and that reminded me of me and my dad because my dad uh, said the same thing to me. He said, "Is is this is the kitchen your room or do you have an actual room? Because you are always in the kitchen." And, and then he told my mom that she thought I was. He thought I was eating. The uh, plastic fruit, you know, you used to have on the table. He said, I think this boy's eating here this plastic. So, you know, Friday just got me right in the field. <laughs> Let's see, now, let my dad tell it. Now, my mom kind of disputes it. She doesn't really remember it. But let my dad tell it. They would have to get a whole extra shopping cart just for groceries, just for me in addition to what they got in one cart, and we had to get the whole other cart just for Vinny. And, and he swears by that, but, I, you know, I don't I don't know. But similar, same thing, you know, according to them, we ate up everything. <laughs> and maybe we did, because my little boys can eat too, so I, maybe I, I can't dispute that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man, I don't know, speaking of Netflix, I don't know if you've seen it. I'm late to the party on it. It's like three or four years old. But just talking music real quick, I don't know if you saw the documentary, the movie, whatever they want to call it, on Netflix, 20 Feet from Stardom. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's about backup singers, and that's what it yeah, focuses I've on. Yeah, i heard about it. The Darling Love, uh, how it all got started, takes you all the way back to backup singers for the Stones and, and – you name the group, and it's talking about these ladies, how, you know, the star is right there on the mic, but, you know, literally you are 15, 20 feet from stardom. But then it focuses on how a lot of times the backup singers will steal the show. And I I love, you know, if you have some good backup vocals, I'm a sucker for that. I don't even care what the song is. Um, like Anthony Hamilton has one. I have to tweet it out not even one of his most well-known songs, but the backup vocals throughout is just ridiculous. This movie, this movie featured all the backup singers, and, you know, some took the leap to have solo careers, some have stayed backup singers, 
Uh, it featured a, a younger artist. Her name was Judith Hill. She auditioned on The Voice. And if you didn't see her audition on The Voice, YouTube that because it was unbelievable. She's still singing back up now, but still wanting to go back to being solo. This is a name you're going to remember because it's back from when we was younger. Lisa Fisher, How Can I Ease the Pain? Uh, won a Grammy, as, you know, for that song as a solo um, for solo record. But her work as a backup, and she's just phenomenal. It features her quite a bit. I'm going to watch it again. It's, it's unbelievable, and it's 20 feet from stardom. It's on Netflix, and it's definitely worth your hour and a half or so because you'd be glad you watched it if you had. Yeah, and, and you know, the backup artist, you said it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a lost art, you know, getting some good backup singers and, uh, you know, going – kind of the other way, you know, Michael Jackson being a backup singer on Rockwell, you know, somebody's watching me, Mariah Carey doing yeah. background vocals on, on Babyface every time I close my eyes. So it, it, it's, a, it's an, you know, it's one of those things you don't want to over-sing and kind of step on the toes of your lead singer, but the right vocals layered correctly really can enhance a song. Absolutely. And if you remember the group changed that song Glow of Love, Luther Vandross was in that before he went solo and became Luther that we know, but uh he had a lot of solo lines in that song, but yeah, it's just I love it. Uh I'm gonna tweet out that song by Anthony Hamilton. It's called I'm a Mess, I'm gonna tweet it out and find it. And just listen to like the last minute and a half or so, and it'll just give you chills. And Anthony's a bad man, but the the ladies doing backup are just unreal. So I have to find that and tweet that out. Um, but then, you know, had to just work in with music because that's how we do. Absolutely love it. Um, got to switch to this is old news, but I gotta I gotta bring it up. MLB wise. A dude from our youth finally got some Hall of Fame due. Um, your significant other will definitely, no doubt, be in agreement. Should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago, and I'm talking about Cubs closure back before the Cubs were great. Lee Smith finally made it to the Hall of Fame, uh, and Harold Baines finally made it as a DH. This happened two or three shows ago. I just haven't mentioned it. But Big Lee Smith, when he retired, had more saves than anybody. So, to me, he was a lot to get in. Of course, closers now are, are have a bigger role in the game than they did back then. And, you know, you saw the Eckersleys kind of come along. And, um, you know, it'd be, you know, Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, guys like that. Closers became more and more of a focal point with, you know, starters going less and less. But, I'm just glad Lee finally made it to the Hall of Fame as our Cubs fans everywhere. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, baseball voters, and, you know, we've talked about kind of ad nauseum about uh, Hall of Fame, Halls of Fame voters and, and, and these games. But baseball players, and even, you know, I would say all Halls of Fame, 
they're slow to kind of look at the way the game has changed. And Lee Smith was the first guy to really, you know, become that, that, that shut down ninth inning specialist. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, just one inning. But if you've got a dominant closer, it shortens the game. And we have mm-hmm. seen that with, 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 with Eric Gagne and, and we know the great yeah. Mariano Rivera. If you're a manager and you've got a closer that you're like, hey, I only have to manage for eight innings because he's got the ninth. You know, if we can mm-hmm. just get to the ninth with a lead, that, you know, lights out. And, and that changes – you have to recognize that. And for my money – the, the designated hitter, and I'm glad Harold Baines got in, uh, I think Edgar Martinez should be knocking, is if yeah. the designated hitter is a legitimate position on the field, and it has been all of our lives, I think back to 73, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to verify that, but it's been a while, then if someone is really good at that, let them in. If they're great, let him in. I, I think with Harold Baines coming in, I think a lot of people said to themselves, these voters, you know, in a couple of years, David Ortiz is going to be eligible. And, mm-hmm. you know, for years and years, we weren't even sure he owned a glove. So if we're <laughs> going to just celebrate designated hitters, we got to, you know, it's, it's about time to come around and say, hey, if, if, you know, all we ask you to do is hit the ball and you did it really, really, really well, hey, we should recognize that. And, and Harold Baines was that guy. And, and Lee Smith getting uh, the nod for Cooperstown. Uh, you know, I also saw there was a, a voter who wasn't going to vote for Mariano Rivera and not doing the ballot. Look, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Baseball election is even more confusing than anything else. If you watch baseball and cover baseball as a job, as a living, if you just in passing know baseball, you know, for the 90s and those great Yankees teams, and you're telling me Mariano Rivera is not a Hall of Famer, stop voting. The same Mm -hmm. people that didn't put Ken Griffey Jr., just stop. I, I, I get it that there's a whole thing, nobody gets 100%, but just stop. I, I just, I don't understand that aspect of it. It just blows my mind. Uh, you know, for football, my biggest gripe is, you know, quarterbacks have it easy. You know, they may as well change the NFL MVP to the best quarterback because no matter what happens to somebody defensively, they, they don't get any consideration. Yeah, I, it's just it's just mind-boggling how we come focused on specific positions. But that's a rant for another day. We're definitely glad to see those guys get into the the baseball hall of fame. Yeah, yeah. My um, first Braves game I went to, uh, me and my dad and my granddad, his dad, we all drove down to Atlanta. Uh, because Dad knew I was a huge Dale Murphy fan and you know, watched him on TBS. Uh, went down and three of my dad's sisters were in Atlanta, so we went down and got up with them and all went to the ball game. They're not huge sports fans, but they went because we were going. And it was the Braves and the Cubs. It was 1980, 
I had looked up the box score. I want to think it was 85. I do believe, but the Braves were terrible. And they were playing the Cubs in old Fulton County Stadium. And so that meant Ryan Sandberg and Leon Durham and Sean Dunstan and Bigley Smith came out and because the Cubs won. <laughs> Lee Smith came out, and I got to see him pitch. And, you know, you saw just as much TVS. You saw just as much WGN back in the day. So you saw those guys for the Cubs on TV as well, even though I was a Braves fan. So got to see all those guys for those old, you know, bad Cubs teams. But they were still good enough to beat up on my bad Braves that night. But uh, I always remember watching Big Lee come out and, and – do his thing on the mound. So glad to see that he's finally receiving his due and, and going to Cooperstown. Congratulations to him and to Harold Baines, too, because Harold did his thing for a long time as well. Absolutely. Man, we've had a blast. Uh, both of us, first day back to work, but still got together and had a heck of a show. Thanks to UTV. Can't wait to see your account and perspective from the game this coming Saturday. Following you on Twitter, T Brown underscore 80, and that camera radio from the Yum Center um, for Cats versus Cards. Thanks to Corey Price for hitting us with all kinds uh, of great knowledge across the spectrum for all things UK. Appreciate that as well. It was a lot of fun. Uh, talking Lakers and talking trash. If we didn't know each other back when our teams were playing in the 90s, forget about it. It would been, have been on. Uh, and maybe one day they'll get back to that, both franchises, Niners and Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, congrats uh, again to your Lakers. Yes, yes. And... Uh, they just got to, like you said, got to the first four or five minutes. Uh, first true road test is going to be hostile as it gets. But just, you know, get yourself calm and, and ready to play. and uh, Take the fight to them and with little punches, punch them back. Uh, it'll, it'll be a tough game. But like Cal says, you can't learn anything playing Popcorn State. This is the rivalry game. Um, like you mentioned, with Coach Mack there, maybe it will get in the sixties. Maybe it'll be in the seventies. You know, I think it was it was it was seventy three seventy Louisville when you were there two years ago. So it might lean that direction a little bit more than the bloodbath rock kicking contest that we saw for so many years in this series. Yeah, there have just been some grinded out, just ugly games. I'm just looking back, you know, in 2006, Kentucky won 61 to 49. I mean, just there have just been <laughs> even, you know, uh, 2011 it was 69 62. Even in the Final Four in 2012, 69 61. Just this mm. ugly, you know, you know, 74 69 yeah. in the tournament. It, it just we have, you know, there haven't been great ones, even losing in 2003, 65 to 56. I just, I think that works against Kentucky and Louisville when people outside talk about 
the, the rivalry, you know, number one, not playing for mm-hmm. a number of years. And number two, the games mm-hmm. just aren't fun to look at. You know, there's no Jerry Stackhouse, yeah. you know, you know, dumb mm-hmm. rap around. We just don't have that like Duke and Carolina has. So hopefully we can get to that. So a little more athleticism in the rivalry would, would be nice. I, I would I would say so. Because we all know it's yeah. just as chippy, if not more so, than, than, than the rest of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great show, my man. And uh, looking forward to Saturday. Kentucky uh, should feel confident about themselves going into it. You know, uh, mentioned the whole recovering from the first game and the fan base had to do it. The players have done it. They've gradually gotten better and better game by game. Uh, and so they, they should definitely feel uh, feel confident heading into Louisville. I said it's going to be easy, but they, they can definitely feel confident rolling in there. Yeah, yeah, you got to feel that we're in a good we're in a good position. That's for sure. We'll be in this position next Wednesday. Blogtalkradio.com slash Cats Talk. You and I will be here to talk about all of it as well as whatever's happening in the NBA and the NFL. We'll see what's going on with the playoffs. Uh, hopefully talking about a Kentucky win over the cards, and maybe they'll be held to 69 or less for the 23rd time in this rivalry. Thanks to the knowledge from Corey Price. Thanks to you for everything, TV. Thanks to everybody listening. The show will be replayed tomorrow on 12 Ounce Sports Radio, Thursday and Saturday. We'll tweet out all that. And thanks again to Smoky Mountain Trader for sponsoring our show. We'll see everybody next Wednesday. Have a good time with their TV. Don't take nothing from LJ the Fiasco either. <laughs> see everybody next week. Thanks for tuning in.